Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Great to see you. Can you turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 5, please? Yes, the kids, the, the, the children are staying out for the whole time this morning. So if you dropped your children off just now, please, you do not have to pop out after the preach to collect them. They are staying there the whole time until we have finished our worship here. All right. Revelation chapter 5. We're doing a series on encounter. Series on around worship, around our time together, around what it means for us to connect with him. There's, there's three kind of pillars, if you like, of what Hillside is about. And, and one of those is us being family, being community together. And we spent a whole chunk of time earlier in the year talking through what family looks like, what community looks like. Um, and one of the pillars of, of who we are is, is about impacting the world, engaging in the mission, the Great Commission. And in September, we're going to move into that and see what that looks like for us. We've got a series advertised, it was advertised earlier on, just on the power of the gospel, just how, how we engage in that. But but this, this space in the middle, we've really felt to devote a few weeks to just empowering us and equipping us. There we go, Encounter Message Series. That's amazing, Luke. Wow, that's really cool, isn't it? Just, just to empowering us and equipping us f- to, to engage and participate uh, as individuals, but, but in, in our gathering together, in connecting corporately with him. You know, we, we, we believe profoundly in the kind of church, the kind of discipleship, the kind of Christian life, which is presence-centered. It's not about programs, it's not about agendas, it's not about rules, it's not about forms and stuff. It is about carrying his presence with us. And, and that is so foundational to everything. It really, really is all about his presence. And if his presence doesn't go with us, then what is this thing about? But there's something amazing happens when we come together, when his presence in me connects with his presence in you. And something is unlocked. And, and our desire, our heart for, for our coming together on a Sunday and, and other times during the week, but, but with, a, with a focus on, on, particularly on this Sunday time together, is yes, that we are family, and, and, and that is incredibly important, but also that in the connecting of his presence in me with his presence in you, something of heaven is released right here. It's, it's like Jesus, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I, in the midst. So, so that's really the, the thinking, the heart between behind the season, just talking about encounter and what that looks like. So if you have found Revelation chapter 5, we're going to read this together. This is John's 
vision says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Worship shifts atmospheres. Sorry, this has gone really low here. I'm needing to just raise it up a little bit. Do you want to go? You've got vice grip hands, Roger. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> wow, that's really cool. <laughs> nice and high. That's great. Fantastic. God. Worship shifts atmospheres. It changes the environment in which we operate. And, and I think we know that personally. If, if you have had one of those days, which happens from time to time, 
Have you yet discovered the power of the decision to worship? When stuff happens, when it falls down upon your head, the ceiling caves in, the kids are sick, the car breaks down and whatever. That, that, that is a moment when you can carry that stuff around with you and you can be a black cloud of despondency to impart to everybody else around you. Or you can take a decision to worship. And you can shift the atmosphere. You can, you can change from somebody who smells of disaster to someone who carries a sweet fragrance of heaven simply by the power of a decision to worship. Is that, we kind of, we know that. We don't always do it. But we kind of know that. So that in, in, in that moment, we can make that choice. And it's more than simply putting on some worship music. It's more than simply soaking. It is an active decision. It's David who says to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. And in that space, in that moment, we, we, we do take a decision and say, right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take charge of this atmosphere because I don't want to walk in this thing all day. And I don't want to impart this to other people. I want to be a fragrance of heaven. Therefore, I will worship. I will bless the Lord. And sometimes as a family, when stuff comes in, you know, when the dynamics of family life are not sweetness and light, but they are difficult, there's a time when we say we are going to worship as a family. And we're going to shift this thing. We're going, to, we're going to break this cloud that is sitting over us and we're going, to, we're going to move this thing into a new dimension. In the workplace, have you ever tried that? Actually, this place doesn't feel good this morning. I'm going to worship here. And it, and it might be that I don't do it at the top of my voice, but I am going to worship here because I'm going to shift what's going on in this place because I'm not accepting to live under this cloud, but I'm going to be the person who brings my own environment with me into this place. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? We kind of know it. As I say, we don't always do it, but that is available to us. The, the, the Celts spoke of thin places, they spoke of, of physical locations. They said that heaven and earth are only three feet apart. That was Celtic spirituality. Heaven is an ever-present reality. That's what we mean when we talk about walking in his presence. They said heaven and earth are only three feet apart. But in thin places, that distance is even shorter. And when we worship, when we worship habitually, when we, when we, when we make a point of, of claiming a place as a place of worship, we make it into a thin place. We make it into a place where, where spiritual history is established. Uh, we, we were in the, in the prayer meeting the other evening, and I just suddenly became aware of how much, this is down in the vault there, how much worship, how much prayer, how much ministry has taken place within those four walls. And that there's an intensity that builds up. 
There, there is a solidity. There is, there is a spiritual momentum that builds up in places. This, this, this is the house of God in a physical sense. We, always, we know that, that church is not a building. We understand that. We understand that we carry his presence with us. But there is history in this place. There is multiple salvations that have taken place, deliverances, God encounters, amazing moments, revelations in this place. And it becomes a place where heaven is even closer, where the, the dividing line between the spiritual realm and the earthly realm becomes very thin indeed. And, and here in the book of Revelation, John is given a glimpse through that dividing screen. The, the, the book of Revelation, the, the original name for it is the Apocalypse, the Apocalypse of John. And, and Apocalypse has come to mean something totally different. Apocalypse means this, it's basically a movie about terrible things happening and the earth getting laid waste. And actually, it doesn't mean that at all. That's not, not, not what the word means. The word means an unveiling. It means a revealing of what is hidden. That's, that's basically the, the, the fundamental meaning of the word apocalypse. And this is the, that's the revelation. It's the, it's the pulling back of the curtain. And, and here is John, this human flesh and blood uh, apostle on the Isle of Patmos, probably aged 70 or 80 or something by that stage. And he is granted an encounter whereby the curtain is pulled back. And he is privileged and enabled to see what is taking place in the heavenly realm when actually he could until that time only see what's taking place on an earthly realm. So he's, the, the angel says to him, chapter 4, come up here and I will show you. He is, his eyes are opened and he is granted this privilege of seeing. And chapter 4, we have a, a vision of, of worship around the throne room. But then chapter 5, the thing moves to a new level and it starts off, he sees... In the right hand of him who's seated on the throne, this scroll. And it's written on the inside and the outside. It's an interesting scroll. And, and, and this scroll becomes pivotal for the rest of the book of Revelation because the book is punctuated by the breaking of seals. And another seal is broken and a whole lot of other stuff happens. And, and, and we need to know what, does, what is this scroll about? What does it mean? What, what is this thing? Um, and, and there's a sense in which no one knows what's written on the scroll because, because it's sealed up. But, but it's more than what's written on the thing. The, 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 the scroll speaks of God's decrees of justice. And in the breaking of the seals is an, a loosing of God's justice onto the earth. That's what this thing is about. And, and here, here is this, this future that is all sealed up. And no one can do anything about it. That's why John weeps, because there's, there's 
a future which is amazing here, which is sealed up because no one has been found worthy to, to break the seals and loose it. But one of the elders comes to John and says, weep no more because the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed and he has been found worthy or capable of breaking the scrolls, breaking the seals. So, so God is a God of justice. And, and we hear the word justice and we, we think of crown court proceedings and prison sentences and, and heavy stuff like that. But justice in the scripture is an incredibly positive word. It's a word of relief. It's, it's a word of shalom coming, of peace coming as it was supposed to. I want to read you Matthew chapter 12, which is a messianic scripture, but it speaks, it speaks of the king coming to bring justice. So this is Matthew 12, 18, Jesus quoting from Isaiah. It says, Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. Here, here, is, here is the idea that the king comes to a land in disarray. Here is South Africa in disarray. Here is an economy that is falling apart. Here is a government that has lost credibility. Here is a land in which the rule of law is routinely um, broken by all manner of stuff going on. But the king comes riding in to restore justice, to put to rights what has gone, gone wrong, to, to, to re-establish things. That's, that's, that's the role of the king coming. That's what justice looks like. And God's just purposes, God's, God's intentions are wrapped up in this scroll, which ends up in Revelation 21, that he will wipe away every tear and there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. Behold, I make all things new. That's, that's the justice of heaven coming. Earthly justice is about punishment and retribution. The justice of heaven is about putting things right again. It's about reestablishing what has gone wrong. It's about rebuilding the ancient ruins. It's about restoring everything to the way it was always meant to be. So here are God's purposes of justice, decrees of justice, sealed up in this scroll, locked up there. And John cries out, he weeps mightily because God's just purposes are not yet being released onto the earth because no one has been found worthy to break the seals on this future that God has in mind. Decrees sealed up. And then the lamb comes and the lamb is found worthy to break the seals on the scroll. But between 
the lamb breaking the lamb being found and and then he breaks the seals and chapter 6 i watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and and angelic stuff starts to happen one of the living creatures says come and then suddenly there's this rider on a white horse who comes to comes conquering and to conquer so God's purposes of justice are unleashed on the face of the earth through angelic activity. That's what the angels are here for. They're here to, to bring his justice about. But between the lamb being identified as the one who is worthy and the releasing of angelic messengers to bring about that justice is this incredible uh, hymn of worship that comes in the middle. So the elders fall down with the living creatures and each of them is holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And, and the, the prayers, what are those prayers of the saints? Dear Jesus, please help me pass my exams today. Um, Dear Jesus, please make my ingrown toenail better. And, and dear Jesus, I mean, all those things are valid and we love them. But, but in the context of this passage, what, what are the prayers of the saints? What are the bowls of the incense? That is the heart cry of God's people for justice on earth. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you delay? That's the prayers of the saints. That's, the, that's what rises up to heaven, the cry from the deepest heart of people. God, will you, will you bring peace where there is war? Will you bring healing where there is sickness? Will you bring wholeness where there's brokenness? Will you bring abundance where there is poverty? How long, O oh Lord? That's, that's the, the heart cry. That's, that's the incense that rises up to heaven. And that, and that incense of the cry for justice rises and it is mixed up with this profound worship of acknowledging the Lamb as the one who is worthy to break the seals. You are the one who's worthy to bring this justice. You are the one who through the cross has unlocked the possibility of justice on earth. You're the one who's done this thing. And we worship you. And they sing together, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you've ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth. And then we have these millions, thousands of thousands. How many is a thousand, thousand? That's a million, is that right? Millions of angels and a myriad. I think a myriad is 10,000. So myriads of myriads is like billions. That's a lot of zeros there. These angels all saying with a loud voice. With, can't you, can you feel the vibrations in the floor? As these billions of voices all shout out in unison, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. 
All right, so there's nothing left out. That is, that is the whole of creation uh, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And then the four living creatures say amen and the elders fall down and worship again. We have this incredible uh, grand climax of worship that comes positioned between the identification of the Lamb as the one who is worthy and the release of of angelic beings to bring about God's justice. And I want to say something very, very simple today. That when we worship, it's not just about me and my personal atmosphere, nor yet is, is it about my family and our home and our atmosphere there. It is about releasing something into the earth. That when we worship when we identify the Lamb as the one who is worthy, out of that act of worship comes the release of angels to accomplish God's justice on earth. And I want to call us today to a place of faith that when we worship, this is not just about me getting my life in order. It's not about me feeling what I think I ought to feel. It's not about me and Jesus. It is that, but it's something vastly more than that. It's about unleashing justice on the earth. The greatest thing that we can do for this city of Durban is to be a worshipping community. We have no idea how blessed the city is because of multiple congregations worshipping and honouring the name of Jesus on a regular basis in the city. We have no idea. And if you push that the other way, how much more could the power of God be released in the city if we were to worship with conscious faith expectation of seeing that? because that's what our worship is designed to release. Isn't that amazing? I, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about this stuff. We are here for a purpose on a Sunday morning, and, and it is totally to exalt him, but in exalting him, we minister to this nation in which we live. So chapter six, the rider on the white horse goes forth. Conquering and to conquer. We, and, and I've, I've searched my heart and what people have been saying on this, we, I don't think, command angels. He gives, he commands angels to take charge of us, to, to minister to us, to care for us, to watch over us. I'm not sure, biblically, I see any place where we are encouraged to command angels. And, and that's, that's not a, this can never happen. I'm just saying I don't think it's the normal pattern of stuff. But what I do see is that we are invited to worship him and in response to our worship, he releases angels. That is our engagement in this thing. This is what we are called to do. Now, this is the gift 
to John of being a seer. He, he is taken into this realm where the dividing curtain between heaven and earth is pulled apart and he's granted the capacity to see what lies beyond. And I want to just wrap up by speaking a little bit about this ministry of the seer, uh, which I think is going to become increasingly important for us. The seer is the one who routinely gets to see beyond, who gets to see what lives in another realm. And it's not quite the same as prophetic ministry. A prophet is one who receives a message from God to deliver to us. A seer is one who sees what's happening. And those two really, really aren't the same thing. Very often those things do go together, but they aren't the same thing. There are some who are seers who are not particularly prophets and some who are prophets who are not particularly seers. And when I read through the Old Testament, there's, there's a whole lot of different people who were seers there. There was a prophet called Balaam. He was a prophet. He was not a seer. And he had a donkey, and the donkey was a seer. Because the donkey saw the angel. Do you know the story? The donkey saw what Balaam couldn't see. He saw the angel standing there with a drawn sword, and Balaam got cross with him. So that's quite cool, isn't it? So if you have a seer ministry, you have something in common with Balaam's donkey. Just bless you with that. Um, but, but Elisha was, for me, the, the supreme example in the Old Testament of a seer. Remember Elisha's commission, when, when Elijah's taken up to heaven and he says, I want a double portion of your spirit. Can you remember what Elijah says to him? He says, it's a hard thing you've asked, but if you see me when I go, it shall be yours. And he sees the chariots of heaven as Elijah is taken away. And he becomes someone whose prophetic ministry is characterized by seeing. And, and, and let's, very often prophets get visual symbols. So a prophet will say, you know, I saw a picture of, and I believe God is saying this. That's not the same thing. So Jeremiah says, I see, I see an, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see an almond tree. Okay, I'm watching over my word to perform it because the almond sounds like watching. It's a bit of a pun. And, and, but, but God can use symbolic imagery to speak to us. But a seer is someone who sees what is real right now in a spiritual realm. He sees what's going on elsewhere, as it were. So here is, here is Elisha. The king of Syria is fighting against Israel. And it seems like every strategy he devises, the people of Israel already know about. So he's convinced there's a spy in his camp. And they, his, his advisors say to him, no, it's, there's no spy. But it's that prophet Elisha. Because every word you speak in your bedchamber, he already knows. That's the ministry of a seer. So a seer doesn't just see. A seer can use every spiritual sense to connect with what's going on somewhere else. 
So then they decide to capture Elisha and they surround him and all the Syrian armies around Elisha and his servant. The servant is panicking and Elisha prays and says, Oh Lord, would you open his eyes? So the servant's eyes are opened. He is granted a temporary gift of being a seer too. And suddenly he sees in the heavenly realm all the angelic beings in massed formation, ready to defend Elisha. That's, that's the seer. When, when Naaman the Syrian is healed, and he offers gifts to Elisha, and Elisha says, no, thank you. And he goes on his way back to, back to Syria. But Elisha's servant runs after him. And Elisha has got like telescopic hearing and he, he, he knows exactly what the servant has said to Naaman the Syrian, how he said, actually, you can give me some stuff. So he ends up getting leprosy instead of the Syrian and, and it's a complicated story. But, but the point is that Elisha is someone who, whose sensual perception goes beyond the merely natural who understands what's going on in a different realm here. And I want to say in the context of worship that we need the gift of the seer. To help us push through in worship, we need the people who can see what is going on in the spiritual realm. People who see angels scare me, frankly. You know, I don't know what to do with that. I'm very happy for them. I've only once, ever once seen anything remotely angelic and it was quite weird and it was at home and it's never happened to me again. And maybe I'd eaten too much cheese. I don't know what it was, but it was a, it was a strange moment. But there are people in our midst who do routinely tell me that they see angels around this place and various stuff going on. And I want to say we actually need that. Amen. We need that. And it so happens, for some reason, most of them are not here today. I don't know if they, maybe they got a prophetic word as well. I don't know what it is. But, but, but I, I want us to catch a picture of our worship as we are engaged in giving worth and honor and power and glory to the Lamb who was slain who will, on receipt of our worship, release angelic beings to shift stuff in the atmosphere over our nation and over our city and over our community. But how helpful is it to have the voice of the seer in our midst who can tell us what is going on? Because most of us, in a sense, we worship blind. We don't see this stuff, but to have someone who can say, this is what's happening here. So I just want to put it out there that if, if the ministry of the seer is with you, then I want to encourage you and remind you that you have a role to play in our worship of helping the rest of us to push forwards. Now, this is not just gobbledygook, rich imagination, Let's run right. There's an accountability in this thing. This, this is not just people saying stuff for the sake of it, but this, this, this is an accountable, respectable ministry, but we need to find space for it in our midst.
Can you understand what this is looking for? Because we need to push through. We need our worship to be more than, well, you know, I kind of got to where I want to. No, we need the voice of the seer who can say, no, 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 this is what's happening right now. But we need to press further into this because God has more he's wanting to do. Because I see what's happening in the heavenly realms. This is God's impartation to us. This is his desire for us. So we can change the nation just in our worship. And it doesn't stop there. We're, we're going to talk, as I say, in September about engaging, about the power of the gospel that he's given to us. And we do all that stuff. But it starts right here. It starts with us engaging in worship in this place. It starts with us joining our voices with angelic choirs and worshipping him together. It starts with us being able to catch a glimpse of what's going on in heavenly realms. So the band, if you want to come up, um, I'm going to pray for us. And we have a choir today, is that right? It's amazing. Angels unawares. Do we, do we have some notices? We have some notices. That's great. Can I just pray for us first? So, Father, we, we, I, I pray that you would grip us with the sense and the awareness of what we do when we worship you. I pray, Lord God, today that you would take blinkers off our eyes. I pray, Lord God, today that you would help us connect with, with heavenly possibilities in a way that we haven't quite yet known. I pray today, Lord God, that you would, you would cause us to take baby steps in seeing this nation impacted simply by exalting you in our midst. We just honor you, Lord Jesus. We, we, we want to join our voice with angel choirs. We want to exalt your name. We want to proclaim your worth. We want to give you the, the, the praise and the worship and the adoration that's due to you. And we just pray that as your name is exalted in this place, we pray that the seals of justice will be broken. Pray for an unleashing of a tidal wave of the activity and purposes of heaven in our midst and in this land for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.